Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we're talking to Dr. Kara Natterson. She's a pediatrician, a consultant, and a New York Times bestselling author of puberty and parenting books. Uh, I'm super excited for this because she specializes in tween boys. And I have my three wild boys, and I have so many questions, and I have so many fears. So I'm really, really excited to talk to her and get some guidance. We're going to talk a bit about the Me Too movement. We're going to talk about consent. We're talking about masturbation. I mean, don't have your kids around, right? When you're listening to this, please don't. And, you know, I mean, all these things that I know for myself, I'm nervous to talk to them about. And I want to walk that line of allowing them to be informative, but not going too deep that I'm like freaking them out and being able to give them privacy. And I feel like that's a really, really hard thing to do. Well, one thing that I think this this conversation does center around is how to approach your children. Yes, we focus in on boys and she has a new book out called Decoding Boys. And I think it has a lot to do with boys the way that they've always been raised or boys the way your husband raised himself or was raised or his father or the father before them. Boys today are confronted with modern problems and modern dynamics that are so different And we as parents need to be equipped with tools and with techniques for how to broach these tough conversations and these tough topics in novel, interesting, smart, and compassionate ways. And I think that um, Dr. Natterson gives us really, really cool and very practical advice on like user's guide of how to approach kids about conversations that many of us as parents like shudder that it's it's already upon us. And one thing I because I was chuckling over here because you brought up masturbation. So have those conversations early, guys. <laughs> Enjoy. Silly mommy. We got the giggles. I'm Cara Natterson. I am a pediatrician and writer, and I specialize in tween and teen puberty-related issues in particular, but um, things that cross the entire age spectrum from birth all the way until they're out of the house. I have two teenagers of my own, a 16-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. And where can we follow you and learn more about everything you do? I have a website and a regular newsletter that in the time of coronavirus seems to come out every couple of days, um, Worry Proof MD. So it's Worry, W-O-R-R-Y, Proof, P-R-O-O-F, M-D, like doctor, um, dot com. Love that. So, uh, well, first of all, how, how are you holding up with all of this? I'm doing okay. My, uh, my husband is uh, the chief medical officer at a hospital here in LA. So uh, it's, it's a challenge. But we're doing okay. Yeah. That must be, you know, I have some, my, my family lives in Spain and I have um, some of my family members are uh, doctors and it's really challenging and they can't live with other people right now. Like there are other, their, their family members, their people that they live with for, for risk of exposure. So it's, I, I told him that wasn't acceptable to me. He was like, I'll go live somewhere else. So, um, 
he just strips down naked at the front door every day, which is hilarious. <laughs> just bring him down. Well, we're so pleased you were able to join us today. Thank you for making time and, and for being a part of the mom brain community. It has been, um, we're lucky to get to have these conversations. And I think now more than ever, they're going to be really helpful to parents who are at home and at home with, um, with all the responsibility being thrust on us to, to try to educate our kids and try to get them to have fun and try to make this time as positive and uplifting for them as possible, given some pretty crazy circumstances that none of us have ever contended with before. Um, so I, I would love to talk about your expertise separate from Corona, but, but, you know, because this is the time we're dealing with, like, what's, if there's one thing you would say to parents right now that are struggling with parenting boys in particular, I know this is something that's, that's a, it's, you know, a a deep topic that we want to get into, but what's something that you think is unique to this time that we'd like to, you know, dive deep with you here about? I think my mantra for a long time, you know, in the world of pediatrics and parenting has been, um, we're, we're making it up as we go along. So we should all forgive mm-hmm. ourselves and not judge everyone. Um, but now more than ever, we are totally making it up as we go along. I mean, minute to minute and day by day, um, as parents, we're making it up as, um, as you know, health advocates, we're making it up. We're just doing the best we can. So, um, I, I don't know my, I think the thing I find myself saying to people more often than ever, is, and including my kids, um, who are both teenagers and they're, so they're old enough to manage this in a slightly different way, but, um, compared to younger kids, which is a bit trickier. Um, but you know, it's, it's just sort of an acknowledgement that none of us really know what we're doing and we're all flying by the seat of our pants. And it just, we all need to take a moment and take a beat and use common sense and then stop judging the other people around us, you know, educate them for sure. But let's, let's stop the, the shaming and the judging because that doesn't help. I mean, never helped by the way, but it, in this moment, it really doesn't help. That's, that's really good advice. I mean, I think everything is, is ever changing. Now I'm really excited to talk to you because I have three boys. Um, and, uh, Daphne has one boy and I am really scared about raising so many boys. You know, everything is penises and everything is like pulling their pants down and showing each other butts. And some like some of that my daughter does as well. But like it's is different. But I am nervous as this gets more, you know, serious and as their words get more and sort of trying to find that way of not shaming them ever for what is natural and what is theirs because they do have penises and they are boys and they do have testosterone. But then also finding ways to not kind of just be like, oh, well, they're boys, so they can do that and teaching them right from wrong. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background, about why this became your specialty. Um, and and then please, like, let just make me feel better about my about my boys. <laughs> so I'm just going to start with this. Um, I have three brothers. I was the one girl, three boy family. And they love talking about penises in the 70s, too. So we're not in new territory here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a toy that they come with. Yes. Like, what yes. are you talking and about? Of farts. course they're going to talk That's about That's another <laughs> favorite topic. Um, so, um, okay. My path to get to this place. Um, basically, I was, um, I was a pediatrician in practice in L.A. And I loved it and married to a cardiologist and 
And there was no one to raise our children. We were taking care of everyone else and we weren't taking care of our own family. And so that was my inflection point. And I decided to leave practice and pivot to writing and consulting. And I had written a couple of books while I was in practice. And so it was sort of a, a natural pivot. And, um, and my, my pivot took me to a place I wasn't anticipating, which was to American Girl, the doll company. Um, they published a book called The Care and Keeping of You um, that was actually published when I was in my pediatrics training. And it became a cult classic very quickly. It was about what you needed to know about puberty and body development and how to talk about it. And, um, and I ended up through a series of funny circumstances um, being asked to um, update the care and keeping and then um, developing a large series um, around that. And so, you know, there was the care and keeping of you too. And there were sort of other books in the series. But from day one, I said to the folks at American Girl, we need a book for boys. It's the same story. They, the parts are different, but the whole journey is the same. And um, after about five years, they relented and we published a book called Guy Stuff. And that was the boy puberty book. Um, and it turned out that, yes, the boys desperately wanted this book, which was not really different from the girl book. Fascinating. Um, it was writing that book at the same time that my son became a tween. Um, I have a now 16-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. And that son was eight when I started writing the book. Um, and what I began to realize as I wrote it and then went around the country talking to parents was that that was only half the equation, that um, the, the other part of the problem was that parents didn't think their boys wanted to talk to them about any of this stuff. And they were they were not having the conversations with their sons that they have with their daughters. Um, and that's, that was profound. And then I started really looking at it and, uh, and I decided that um, someone needed to write something about it. And so I wrote this book called Decoding Boys, which is about how we raise our sons. And essentially what happens is when they go into puberty, which happens really early, it happens around um, nine or 10 on average for um, most boys, depending upon ethnicity and a whole bunch of other things. Um, but when they go into puberty, they tend to get quiet. They just sort of shut down a little. And we as parents go, oh, that's so normal. And we let them shut down and then they shut their door and we don't do anything about it. We don't talk to them. Meanwhile, if our girls ever did that, we'd be like, no way. And we would open the door. We do. We talk to them. We give them all this language. We empower them. And we don't do that with our boys. And in the world that we are raising them, which is a world that is fraught with a lot of complication, um, not having language skills and communication skills is a danger for them, I think. Um, you know, with online porn and Me Too movement and all of these things that are coming at them, how can we raise them with no language? So that's what got me on this journey to write this book. And really, if there's one take home message and it starts way before puberty, it's just raise your kids like kids. Just raise your boys with the same language and intensity and intention and communication that you're going to raise your girls with. It, it, the gender doesn't matter. And if they shut their door, okay, not knock, don't, don't not knock when they're in puberty, but, um, but then have the conversations, like the millions of conversations that you need to have with them over the years. So that's, that's how I landed where I am. No, that's, that's great advice. And I do think that, you know, I mean, I, I try to raise my my kids just as kids, but at the same time, I, at the same time, I am noticing that 
there are different. I mean, I happen to have a very girly girl and I happen to have at the moment because I know they can change very like typically stereotypical three boys. I mean, like they're just like racing these cars around and smashing things and like, you know, grabbing each other. And my husband will go in and like wrestle with them. And somebody gets hurt 100% of the time, not like gravely hurt. But you know, I mean, is that normal? Is that something that we should be allowing them to do? Or do you teach them that no violence is okay? So there was this famous study done in the 70s that looked at um, people who raised their kids in pacifist homes and, you know, no guns, no this, no that. Um, And the boys, they found, they'd go to the refrigerator and take out carrot sticks and try to stab each other. I mean, there is something innate and that's right. And so um, you can, you know, you can do it however you want to do it, but you parents know their kids and they, they watch it. And it's sort of a fascinating thing to, to witness where you go, Oh, I have no control over this, but I can teach them how to manage their aggression in a safe way. So that's, that's what you'll get to over time. Um, You know, Listen, I have a 14 year old who's the size of my husband now, and they still wrestle each other and are all over. And let me tell you who gets hurt every time. Oh, I have distinct <laughs> memories, distinct of coming home from college, or I guess I was out of college at this point because my brother's 13 years younger than I am. And he and my dad would have like, like what look as a girl looked like warfare, like actual, <laughs> like in world, when you're World War III wrestling match insanity. And my, and my brother's enormous. He's a total moose. And my dad, you know, used to be a big football player. And now, you know, he's whatever he's, he shrinks like everybody else, but they still have this mentality that they can keep pace. And it was, it was a, I think to your point, actually, you said, you know, boys will find anything to make weapons out of. My son will go into the woods and find like little, you know, pine cones and wrap a rubber band about them and try to make a little bow and arrow for himself. And the end and the physicality that boys need in that regard and that, you know, that part of it, you know, fighting with your dad, I don't know, even play fighting with your dad. I don't know. I don't know how long you're supposed to let that go on for, but it felt so natural to like have this, there's something like proprioceptive about it. They need that physical feedback of, and, and just an outlet. Otherwise they go stir crazy. It's like caged animals. Well, I have to say that in this whole um, physical distancing thing, the the reason why it's easier for me to set strict parameters for my son is that he knows that when he's with his friends, they can't stop wrestling and they're in each right. other's space. And this whole six foot rule is really hard to follow when you're right. a puppy like that. Now, I've I have 100 percent met girls who are like this and I've 100 percent met boys who are not. So um, there is sort of a temperamental piece and a uh, probably a chemical piece, right? So there's mm. a little bit of hormone driving it and a little bit of just sort of who you are. We we all have had this experience of you meet your baby when they are born and they are who they are. You have no control over that. Whatever that intangible thing is and whatever you want to call it, it's there for minute one. Earlier you said, um, you said teaching them how to manage their aggression. Um, how do we do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I write a lot about it. Um, people tend to talk about it in the context of video gaming in particular, because they're worried that gaming essentially blunts your, your response to your sense of, uh, what, what the long-term consequences of violence and aggression are, right? Because you're in these games where you're shooting and you're killing and doing all this. And there's all this data that says, no, actually that's not the impact of video games, but I'll tell you, 
I, I like to follow data and I'm a pretty scientific person. I don't believe any of that data because I, I, I just, um, I feel like the muscle memory of all of that, um, is, is scary for me, um, as a, as a mom and as a healthcare provider. So, um, I do think one of the things that we need to do, um, as our boys are growing up is sort of to, to be aware of the type of play they're involved in and to talk to them about the consequences of the behavior in the play all the time. So that might be if you walk in on a video game that they're playing and it's pretty violent and aggressive to stop and kind of have the conversation right then and there. This is why this bothers me. You know, not just I don't want you to play this, but this is why this is what's making me nervous. Or in my house, when my kids were little, all the time we would do a little role play about what you do if you if someone is in your play space and they have a gun that you don't know if it's real or if it's fake. What do you do to get yourself to safety? Because, of course, um, when they're young, the biggest risk is accidental homicide. Right. It's just um, playing with a weapon and then someone hurting someone not intentionally. As they get older, the, the, the real fear is sort of a, a more intentional situation. Um, so so you have to start these conversations when they're young and they're hard conversations um, and they're hard, especially because kids their their prefrontal cortex, which is the part of their brain that thinks consequentially and long term, um, it's there. It exists in their brain, but it's not hardwired the way that their impulsive emotional brain is at a very young age. So there are all these years, namely starting in like third, fourth grade, all the way through college, when the impulsive brain sends and receives messages a lot faster and so they can think about consequences, but they just can't access that thinking as quickly. And so we have to teach them tools to access that thinking, how to stop and count to 10 or take some deep breaths and just sort of before you do it, think about it. Just give your, your prefrontal cortex a moment to consider the consequences of your actions. So that's super interesting because I do, sorry, I, I just want to clarify something you just said, because this is something that I, I think a lot about in terms of... Um, historically speaking, like humans living in the wilderness, you needed your young boys to be risk takers. You needed them to be impulsive. You needed them to have very little self-preservation impulse because, and to try to go off on their own and establish their own tribe or be the alpha male or whatever, because that was how our, our society survived. And it's, you know, the prefrontal cortex not developing. I've heard until like they're 21, 22, sometimes in boys higher. Holy crap. (laughs) But I think 25. 25, maybe 50, 50, closer to 30, closer to 30. What? Wow. Oh, that makes so much sense about right? the guys Doesn't I was dating in my twenties. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I wish I knew that back then. <laughs> the fact that my husband had children before his prefrontal cortex was fully formed is laughable. <laughs> and my dad and, and his father and everybody before. Um, but, but, you know, but what that, what that makes me think about, and I would love to, I'd love to get you to elaborate on this a little bit more is how do you not squash what biology has always needed humans to have or, you know, historically and give them the words or the language or the reasoning skills to get through it in a, in a safe way? Yeah. Um, well, you don't, uh, as they get older, you don't put them in situations that they're not ready for. So there, there's this mm. whole philosophy of parenting, like I'm going to let them try this thing so they can become more responsible. No, if they're not developmentally ready for it, they're not developmentally ready for it. So the example I would use any time other than this crazy moment we're in right now is spring break, 
right? So those spring break trips to whatever beach, you name it, right? If you put your kid on that plane and hand them a wad of cash and say, go be safe, good luck to you, (laughs) right? What is that? So if you, you know, you have to, based upon who your kid is, where your kid is at, what their age is, I would not put them in situations that they are developmentally not ready for. There is a balance. I mean, you know, they, we want them to grow and we want them to become resilient and we want them to build strength. So um, it's not that you want to, I, I don't, I am not advocating for helicoptering and snow plowing and all that. And you don't want to put them in a bubble. You just don't want to put them in a situation where as risk comes their way, they need to make a giant developmental leap in order to manage it. Um, and that is why, you know, when we look at weapons, for instance, um, it's one thing to have nerf. It's another thing that if you happen to have weapons in your home, you must take the bullets out of the guns and lock that set those bullets separate from where you lock the gun. You, you must, you are asking, and they must both be locked up. You are asking your child your young child in particular, to do something that they are developmentally not capable of if you don't take those steps. So there, you know, there are a gazillion examples I could give you of, of ways that we need to go through this and how to parent our kids to keep them safe. Um, but that's, I think that's a life-saving one. Helpful. Thank you very much. What I do with my kids when they're fighting, you know, I mean, I know that we all have sibling rivalry and getting them to calm down from that fight. I mean, there's the play fighting, it's one And then there's the actual, like, they're beating the crap out of each other, which is much, it's just very common. Um, And, you know, I'll make them stop. The issue is then they don't stand up for themselves. So I'm teaching my boys that they shouldn't be violent, but the expense is that the other one is continuing to beat on them and they're not standing up for themselves. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, okay. So... The, the best parenting trick of all that applies to almost every scenario is to remember that the power lies in explaining to your kids why. If you always give them a rationale for your rule, they can take that rationale and they can apply it to whatever is happening. So you can't hit your brother why, right? Really what you're saying is you can't hate your brother because I don't want him to get hurt because the consequences of him getting hurt are X and Y and Z. And, you know, and it might be as simple as because I've got 20 things to do and I just don't have time for you guys to be hurt. Or it might be in today's day and age because I don't want to have to take you to an emergency room when there are a lot of sick people in the hospital. So I need you to understand you can't hurt your sibling. That's the why. Then they are able to modulate their behavior because they understand it's not just a, a limit that my mom is putting there. You know, three-year-olds, three-year-olds are really, really challenging, like mm-hmm. in a very special way. And, mm-hmm. um, and they, their entire job for that entire year of life, and that job comes back many times over, but especially at three, is to challenge every limit you put in their way, right? So because that is their daily duty, If you give them the rationale for the limit, they are better able to comply. And and especially if you've got a pleaser, especially if you've got to get, you have a three-year-old who's not a pleaser, it's a really tricky combination. And that takes a little bit of finessing. But if you've got a pleaser who really does want the, the love and the praise being expressed, 
and you give a rationale, then they get the attention for the positive thing because they'll take attention for anything, right? Positive, negative, they don't care. Um, they're non-discriminating. So that I would always give the why. And by the way, the why is going to extend all the way through the teenage years, right? No, you can't take the car is really different than no, you can't take the car because it's late and you're tired. And I think you're going to get in an accident, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's all teaching ourselves to say the why without apologizing, by the way, as parents, we tend to go, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm, I'm giving this limit and I'm so sorry. We don't need to apologize for the limit. And we'll get the limit wrong a lot because we're all making this up as we go along. And that's fine, too, because we can change the limit and we can say to them, hey, you know what? Last time I told you you couldn't do this because of this, I changed my mind. And this is now I'm going to do this rule. And it's because you've gotten older and you're more mature or it's because you've, you know, showed me that you can do X, Y and Z. Or it's because I realized something's more dangerous than I thought it was. Whatever it is, but always the rationale, always answer the question why. That's really good advice. Um, can I ask about, um, just because Ilari had mentioned self, like defending themselves also. And I, I, the, the rationale of why, with, you know, for, for the rules within your family home, for what you guys do as a family, I think is so powerful and important. And something John, my husband and I often talk about is like, how do we parent our kids and raise our family and give them these sort of core values that are really important to us and make those so strongly held and, and our kids so resilient that they're able to carry them over when they're not with us, when they're at, with, at school with their friends, when they're being influenced in different, by different people in different ways. Um, and one thing I, we think about a lot on this show and we, we, you know, think about a lot as parents are bullies and bullying and, and Larry mentioned self-defense. So it immediately made my brain think like, how do we, how do we talk to our boys about, standing up for themselves and being strong and having being able to make sense and make their own rules on the fly kind of in circumstances like that. Yeah, I think it's it's the exact same rationale, right? So if you've explained the why, why you can't hurt your brother or sister, why you can't hit to hurt, then you've also given them a framework for understanding why bullying isn't okay and why being the recipient of the hate or the anger or the venom or whatever it is, isn't okay. What you haven't done yet is given them the strategies for what they can do. Um, and you do want to give your kids strategies and different parents have different strategies. Um, I've learned over my many years in pediatrics to not judge those strategies, but some are really much, much better than others. I mean, just, <laughs> what are your favorites? Um, what are your favorites? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my least favorite is to meet violence with violence, right? Because that ends badly for one or both, right? So, but that's really hard. And what is that? What is the difference between standing up for yourself and meeting violence with violence? So there, that's a, um, it's going to look and feel different in every situation. Um, but I do think, um, you know, this, the concept of bullying um, I'm so glad we talk about it all the time, uh, but it's it's created a little bit of a dilemma because um, it also sort of in, in theory, it can make one person in the interaction a victim and we don't want our kids to be victimized. That's, I think, what we respond to when we don't when we want them to stand up for themselves. It's because we want them to not play the role of victim. We want them to be able to to take a situation and be empowered and do the right mm -hmm. thing, flip the situation, mm -hmm. keep themselves safe, but also not play the role of victim in their whole life. And 
And it's complicated because when there's a bully, there's a victim. Um, and so sometimes changing the language around that can really help because sometimes there's a bully and there's a victim and that needs to be solved. But sometimes there's bullying behavior. And from there, there doesn't have to be a victim because if you choose not to be the victim, you can get yourself out of that role. And so how, what does that look like? And, and that's, you know, I hate role playing more than anyone on earth, but these, it's really, except when your, when your husband comes home and stressed out. Outside well, well, that's not role playing. And by the way, that's outliving coronavirus. I'm going to be like, oh, honey, you still need to strip down in the front door because it's really safer for our family. See the why. I gave you the why there. Um, so, um, but no, but I would, with um, young kids in school, in grammar school age kids, I would actually really encourage parents to role play with their kids, multiple scenarios in multiple, multiple different ways. But uh, here's how I recommend let your kids come up with the scenarios. And the reason why is they will then tell you without you having to ask what dilemmas they have faced. And you'll have insight into the bullying scenarios that they've been part of. Generally speaking, they will draw their um, role play experiences from two places, either content that they've seen online or on a screen or something they've lived in real life. It's really instructive. And then you have a sense of when something comes up for them, oh, this is real. This is based on this thing that they told me about without realizing they told me about it. And and let's see what we can do. This is um, a whole new world with our kids not in school generally. So the, the type of bullying that we're about to see evolve over the next several months is not in-person bullying, does not mean bullying will go away. Um, there will be plenty of it. It will just take a new form, which is weird, right? What happens when your son or your, or your daughter, when your child is the bully? Oh, well, okay. I love that you asked that because half the time, that's the case, right? So every parent is really good about talking about their kid in the victim role and right. very few parents want to acknowledge. So um, half of the parents listening to this, unfortunately, you have the bully or you have had the bully at some point. I mean, doesn't mm -hmm. you don't you're not a bad kid mm -hmm. if you were the bully. I mean, there, there are things that underlie that too, right? That you want to get to the core of. So the most important thing parents can do is acknowledge the fact that, oh, I may have the kid who's playing that role because you want to get to it, figure out why they're playing that role and help them problem solve. The last thing you want is for a child who is taking on some bullying behaviors young to grow into those behaviors as they get older. You want to help them stop. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that, that behavior is modeled from somewhere, right? It might be from inside the home, in which case you have to take a really hard look at what's going on inside the home. Uh, but often it's actually not inside the home. Often they're just getting our kids get content from so many different places. It's just unthinkable. And even, you know, in the past decade, the shift to mobile and the way kids consume content and the, the inability for parents to actually see what their kids are seeing, because there's no such thing as the common screen and the common place anymore, right? You could be sitting 12 inches from your kid and you can't see the screen. So um, where they're getting the modeling and where they're learning the lessons is really, really important. Um, and teaching them to be upstanders, not bystanders is the flip of that. But we can't just focus on the what to do when someone's being bullied. We have to talk about, is that behavior, hold a mirror up. Hey, do you think you were the bully in that scenario? And it's painful. I have had those conversations with my kids. It's 
painful. Well, also what I found to be interesting is when the child is trying to, in their own way and sometimes not very well, solve the problem of the bully and then starting to turn into that, like taking that behavior and then doing it back. Like my daughter sometimes complains about this other Mm. child in school and she's like, well, this person said such and such to me. So I said, da, 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 da. And I'm like, well, did you make the situation better or worse by that? And we tried to talk it through because I said, what you really want to be careful of is this is happening to you and that's not okay. But you can only make the situation better, which means you stand up for yourself. You can you can say something. You can tell a teacher. You can tell me. I can go and talk to the the, um, the parents of the child. But you don't want to stoop down to that kid's level because that's when learning to become a bully starts to to really come in that situation. We're talking about having the tough conversations that as parents, we're inevitably going to have to have at some point or other uh, with our children. And in the beginning, you'd also you'd referenced, you know, if your if your son gets quiet and shuts the door and and has you know needs his space that we shouldn't necessarily give that to them. How, how do you, how do you, for listeners out there who do have, you know, this, the silent broody teenage boy or, you know, the, the, the sort of beginnings of that, how do you even broach that conversation? How do you open the door for that? And, and what are some conversation starters just as like a practical user's guide tip? And, and I'll, I'll do a little reset because it's not that you shouldn't give it to them. It's, you don't have to give it to them always, all of the time, endlessly. Mm. They need it, right? Kids do need privacy. They do need to shut the door. I need it. I don't know. You need it. Like it's human. I what is privacy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, you know, so um, it's not that, but it's, it becomes, um, it becomes so normative for tween and teen boys and, and it dominates the interaction with family members. It becomes the non-interaction with family members. And even if they don't shut the door, they shut their mouths often, right? They're at the dinner table, they get silent, right? They don't engage. They do engage with their friends, by the way, a lot, Mm -hmm. but they Mm -hmm. don't engage with family in the same way. And then there are kids who they stay, they were really chatty before and they stay really chatty but if you sort of lean into it and push, the parents will go, yeah, he's still chatty, but he's less than he was before. So it's it's a phenomenon that impacts almost every boy at some point for some run of time. I think that one of the things that I found a lot of pushback on uh, when I was starting to write this book were all the dads who said, well, yeah, that, that was absolutely my experience. And then I came out of it and I'm fine. And What's the big deal? Why make a case about it? Right. And it's fair. But the difference is it's 2020. And when today's adult men went through that phase, they went through it in a really different way. They weren't going through it behind a closed door with 12 devices or one device. And they weren't going through it in a world where lack of communication put you at a disadvantage. So to me, the whole goal Hmm. of getting in there and having the conversations with your kids, regardless of gender, has to do with the fact that knowledge is power and being armed with language sort of buoys that power. We know that. We have seen what has happened to our girls as they have been armed with language. They are so proud of periods and boobs and all of it, right? And when they are wronged, they take a microphone and they put their voice out there and the world responds really positively, not perfectly, 
but much more positively than it did a generation ago. But that doesn't happen for our boys. So what does it look like in an individual home and how do you do it? Well, there are going to be some kids who need privacy some of the time. I will tell you, my son needs privacy some of the time. So does my daughter. But when it goes on too long or when I feel like I'm losing him or when I feel just, you know, when you have that sixth sense, there's something going on with your kid and you don't know what it is. That's Mm -hmm. where I don't let the rationale of he's in puberty. He's in this stage of life. I'm just going to let it ride. I don't let that win the day. And instead, what I do is I knock on the door and I say, hey, you know, I want to talk to you. I don't ask if I can come in. I have learned my lesson the hard way on that one. Um, <laughs> just say the answer will just be no. Exactly. Don't ever ask a yes, no question ever. Like parenting That's trick so funny. too. Yeah. But, um, and then sometimes I'll just sit on the other side of the door, frankly. Sometimes I won't even go in and, um, and I'll just sit on the other side of the door and we'll just start to have a conversation that way. Because this whole eye contact thing makes it really tough um, in terms of conversations that are tricky. So um, if you cannot have eye contact, sometimes the words flow a little more easily. One of the things that I'm most nervous about um, as my all my kids grow up, um, but boys only because I'm not a boy. And so that I think that's the other thing that's interesting for mothers raising boys is it's like, you know, it's just it's foreign in, in so much. And a lot of our I mean, I do have a brother, but like a lot of our experience with boys and sort of our idea of them getting older is us dating. And that was us just chatting with like all of our girlfriends and trying to like decipher their texts or their (laughs) calls or like whatever. And I think we just did it so badly. Um, And so I think about now that these boys, they're, they're my little people and I'm responsible for them. And like, what am I supposed to do when they start getting interested in sex and how, and how am I supposed to talk to them about it? Because, you know, my husband will be like, oh, I'll handle that when that comes. And I'm like, no, bad idea. Like, we don't need it. Like, the, like, let's have another whole generation of Baldwin brothers. That's <laughs> great. Let's go with that one. You know, I mean, I want to be a part of that. Um, and, and I'm afraid, I have to say, I think it's one of the things that's scaring me the most as a mother is like, what happens when, you know, like, do you talk to them about masturbation or do you like leave that alone and like you're super private? Do you talk to them about like, when they're starting to be interested in other people, whether it's boys or girls or whatever, you know, what what about like porn? Like, is that okay? Is it not okay? I, I don't know. So um, let me start with any dad who's volunteering to have conversations, big thumbs up to that because oftentimes dads will take the pass. So um, I, I love that you're getting an early volunteer. Okay, fine, now, Alec, I'll let you do it. Now, what will, what will happen <laughs> is when the time comes, it may likely get outsourced to you anyway, so don't be surprised. Um, but yes, go there. You do not have to have the equipment to play on the team. Okay. That's my, my best advice. So, um, you, (laughs) right. Um, I never remember that forever. (laughs) So it's like an old Seinfeld line. Okay. So here's, here's the deal. Um, boys will very often feel comfortable talking to moms or females in their lives. In fact, um, sometimes they're more comfortable Um, And I think what's interesting is we think that girls go to females and boys go to males. And actually what often happens is girls go to females and boys go to either. Um, And think about it. The vast majority of pediatricians are women. Boys are used to having um, these experiences and answering questions about their body and having very, um, very private conversations about all this stuff with a female doctor or with a mom who is 
a primary caretaker. So just because you didn't grow up with the parts, you can absolutely go there and you should. The language is just the language and you should start getting comfortable with it now. So the anatomical terms are anatomical terms. Start using them freely, right? Masturbation, 100%. We should be talking to our kids about masturbation is completely normal. And we don't need to pair up by gender to talk about it at all. Um, and in fact, you know, at this point with what I do, I so horrify my kids, right? I'm like, I'm a puberty specialist. It's very, very embarrassing. So, you know, <laughs> dinner will be like, God, mom, again with the porn and the <laughs> masturbation. And I'm like, we just have to do it. And have one more conversation, but all of it, they want you to go there. They will let you know over time when they're done with any given conversation, because it goes something like this. You bring something up like, hey, I'm just curious, you know, I know half of all 11 year old boys have seen porn. So I just want to talk to you about it. Like, what have you seen? And they get up and leave. Okay, so that conversation is done. But it doesn't mean you're not going to go back there 12 more times. You are. You're just going to go back in whatever way works for you and for him. And if you don't know how to have these conversations, there are lots of resources that you can go to where you get just prompts and starters, but you're going to learn very, very quickly. And for each of your kids, between the two of you, for each of your kids, the conversations are going to go differently because what the older ones know and what the younger ones know, because they have the older ones around and your comfort with the conversations. And as the landscape shifts, it's just going to constantly evolve and you're going to get better at it. And, and then you're going to need to meet the younger one at a new place that you go, oh, I was not expecting this conversation at this age. But, but there you are. Porn is everywhere, guys. I mean, the, you have to talk about porn because our kids are on mobile devices and the, the porn um, sort of the content hubs for porn are targeting our kids and they're doing it very, very intentionally with free, very aggressive and disturbing content because they would like to get those eyeballs because they want future consumers of their of their content who will be paying consumers. So you have to get in there with conversations about porn, I think, at a very young age. And just, you know, I always talk about it with my kids in terms of this is not about sex. I'm totally pro sex and we can talk about sex all you want. This is about what is being messaged in porn right now online. So let's talk about that. Let's separate those two things. Um, and, and if you practice when they're younger, and again, you give them the why, why you're worried about them being on screens without you knowing what they're doing or what they're seeing. Um, and it's very simple. You know, the conversation goes something like this. I don't know. Do you want this prompt? You want this conversation? Started? Yeah. Okay. The conversation yes, yes, goes very much. something like this. It, it's like, um, uh, and it's not for four and five-year-olds, by the way, this is for, I would say by the time a child is in third or fourth grade, the conversation needs to go something like this. Um, you know, you may see pornography on a phone or an iPad or a computer and pornography is, um, when we see an image, so it could be a picture, but it could also be a video of people having some sort of intimate relationship. And some people call it sex and other people call it other things. And you're going to hear a lot about it. And we're going to talk a lot about it over time. But the reason I want to open the conversation with you now is that intimate relationships with other people that you love are really special and they should never be violent and they should never be scary. 
They should be beautiful and they should be loving. And a lot of the images that are available online make it look like maybe there's a piece of it where someone gets hurt physically or emotionally. And that's not what I want for you. So as you start to see these things, I want you to talk to me about it so I can help you understand the difference between what you're going to see and what you're going to have when you get older. And that's the opener, right? And the reason you got to do it in third or fourth grade is that the average age, according to many studies that kids are going to see it, boys in particular, is fifth grade. So get in front of it. And if you have a, you're listening to this and you have a sixth grader or a seventh grader and you haven't had the conversation, okay, it's never too late, right? But you may be a little bit behind it and you may need to play catch up and you may need to level set with them and see what they've seen. That's super helpful advice. And I, I, I shocked that I didn't realize it was so young that our kids are being exposed to, and you, you realize it's, it's, uh, you know, kids with phones find things that you'd never intended them to find. It's not even, you know, it's, it's a moment with someone else's screen or with that, with their own screen. You know, I, it's really, um, even just like what would pop up on YouTube in a completely innocent, like, you know, queue of things is mind boggling to me. Um, because you so generously shared that conversation starter. And I think that that's going to be really valuable for people to hear. If you're open to it, I'd love to hear what you, if you've had any conversations about it, how you broached the topic of me too, with your kids and how you've tried to prepare both your daughter and your son. You're in a unique position where you have, you know, close in age, a girl and a boy to try to navigate this very uncertain terrain, kids coming into adolescence and puberty and beyond, you know, in the, in this era, how have you communicated to them and how have you made them both feel safe with this dynamic? Such a good question. Um, we talk about it a lot in my house. Um, I will say as a mom of a daughter and a son, if you had asked me when my kids were babies, who I would be more worried about in the realm of relationships and safety and all that, I would have said my daughter. Um, today, I worry much more about my son mm-hmm. um, because I, again, to this whole language empowerment piece, I think one of the things that Me Too has done is really given voice to females to articulate when things are not okay. But the flip side of that is that because males don't have the same voice in the same way, especially our young males who are, you know, in their teen years and 20s, um, it has it has created a very fraught situation where um, many of them will talk about feeling accused um, and not being able to have a conversation with the person that they feel that's either actively accusing them or that they suspect is accusing them. Um, and instead feeling silenced by that. And so I think the most important thing that we can do for our boys is to talk about the realities of Me Too, um, where the movement came from, the importance of its origins, the history of behaviors across the board, and then how to not be a person who is behaving in a way that feels unsafe to someone else or not okay to someone else. Um, the other thing is, I think, you know, the the traditional sense of male being aggressor and female being the 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 victim in the scenario while it tends that tends to be more true than not there are lots of stories about female aggression and what that looks like and so we have to have the conversation from that perspective too um i think talking about consent in general should start in preschool um it's just um using you're taking all the lessons about sharing 
and you're changing the word from sharing to consent. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take someone's jacket without their consent, right? You wouldn't eat someone's food without their consent. You're just sort of peppering in this word that as they get older gets linked to sex and sexuality. But when they're young, it's really a concept of respecting space, respecting property, respecting their, their feelings and their desires. And it translates really easily as they get older into understanding, oh, consent is so much more than just a sexual agreement, right? It's a, it's everything a hundred times a day we consent or don't consent to things. Um, and I think that framework has really helped my kids. We've talked about it a lot over the years. Um, with my son in particular, I'm, I'm really, really clear. I mean, you know, he, um, he knows that, um, he needs to ask and ask again and ask again. And I'm having these conversations with him before he's ever been on a date. You know, he's never, and that breaks my heart. Right. Well, it, it, you, it does make you think that it's like you said before, you know, you can, you can plot the course with them and try to give them the tools to use, but they're ultimately going to be charged with putting it to use in their own specific you know, scenarios constantly and hope, hoping that they aren't exposed to it before they're ready to deal with any, any situation that they're ready to deal with, you know, um, keep by keeping, keeping that door open so that they can talk to us and laying that foundation. I, I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to really think about that with my kids. One, one more question, unless Daphne, you have another question, but no, one, no, no. one question, um, is, when when do we start talking to our kids about sex? Because all of a sudden from this conversation, everything is so much sooner than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> my my daughter is already six. talked to your one-year-old gonna... about sex? I can't no, believe no. <laughs> My daughter's six and she's in first grade. And I'm thinking, oh God, third grade and we're going to be talking about porn? Oh my God, that's in two years. Okay, so um, this is a crazy question, right? Because I'm telling you, you have to start talking about porn. And the answer is going to be, you have to start talking about porn before you have to start talking about sex. That doesn't make any sense. So... No, yes, or is it, or everything. do I start? Because they do ask me how, how babies are yeah. getting um, there in my tummy. And they're like, when did you eat me to yeah. put me in the stomach? <laughs> and to this point, I've gotten mostly to the point where I've been able to like, just be like, well, what do you think? And then they get on these tangents, but then eventually they're like, is that right? And I'm like, I'm going to lie to you. Right. Um, so they've come out with, there's like a seed and there's an egg. And it's a special recipe and they go together, but they don't really understand how, like my, my daughter said to me at one time, she's like, but mommy, how did daddy's seed get inside of you? Did you swallow it? And I'm like, actually, no. But what is an appropriate, you know, talking about when, when kids are, are aware of things, what's an appropriate age? You know I mean? Cause I remember finding out about sex and it wasn't from my parents. So like, what is, what is an appropriate age? Yeah. Um, so it's going to be different for every kid. And again, in a house with multiple kids, it's going to be different for all of your kids because you're going to find that um, as as your kids progress through, they're going to learn things at increasingly younger ages. Um, but I, my, my best answer is when they start asking you questions, you need to um, try to figure out what they're actually asking because um, asking about sex and asking about sex are two totally different things, right? So that's so interesting. What makes you think of that is a great reply when you're trying to figure out how much they want to know. Mm -hmm. And from the sounds of it, at least you're, take your daughter out for a second. If your sons are asking this, they're asking about, you know, your seed recipe. That's all they want to know. They don't want to know more than that. And that's great. You've given them sort of an intro course and that's perfect. 
your daughter sounds like is on the cusp of actually wanting to understand the mechanics of it a little bit more. And that's appropriate. Totally fine. Um, there are ways to answer it. My best advice is super straightforward, super simple and using anatomical terms. Um, there are great books. Uh, Roby Harris writes this series. It's so amazing. And it's not the stork about their sort of cartoony graphic novels about um, the, all of this. They're wonderful. Um, and I've always recommended them to people. Um, but, you know, you've got to gauge it where she is. And when she wants the answer to actually now, yeah, I need to understand then you start putting terms on it. Okay. You know, when I called it a seed, well, there's a medical term or a biological term. It's called sperm and that's what it's called. And this is how it works. You want to know how it works. You can just keep checking in with her and she'd be like, no, I'm good. Then she's done. Right. <laughs> enough mommy. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Well, also then you worry about like what they go to school. Like well, there's this one kid in her class who has all the information before everybody else. Uh-huh. And then they'll come and like, like so-and-so says X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, really? There's so-and-so can keep their mouth shut. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're purring sure too much. But then you're like, wow, maybe these people are just like sharing and being extremely honest. But at the same time, I was like, I wasn't ready for that milestone yet. Well, okay. So I just have to tell you a very funny side story, which is that I write about this in Decoding Boys, exactly that. And the kid who has too much information and all that. And, um, and I, one of my very close friends handed the book to his son, who's young. He's about 10 years old and kids can read my book, but I don't think 10 year olds are so interested in my book, but certainly high schoolers can read it. And so he handed it to his son. He was so mad at his son. It was actually a punishment. He was like, here, read something, read this. And so his son <laughs> opens my book to the section about the know-it-all kid and reads in the book, the example I use, which is the know-it-all kid teaching another kid that there is no tooth fairy and comes into his dad's room and goes, wait a second, there's no tooth fairy. And his dad was like, that was the worst punishment ever. And I was the kid with too much information in the book. So, um, you know, you, you do want to preface all of this for your kids with This is information that I'm giving you and every family is going to give this information at different times to their kids. And the one deal we have to have is there have to be conversations that we keep in the family vault. And it's not because they're secret, but other families aren't ready to have these conversations yet. And then you kind of label it. Like in my family, we literally have a family vault and we have this pinky swear that we do. And if you have information that you're sharing that cannot leave the house you know, my kids still do it all these years later. There's a little pinky swear and it's like, okay, this is our information. And you have to explain it's not, we're not keeping it in because it's wrong for other people or there's something salacious about it. We're keeping it in because this is really big information and some kids aren't ready for it. And that makes sense. Yeah. And that then you don't have the know-it-all who every family is like, oh my God, she came home and, you know, told me these 12 mm-hmm. things. Yeah. You, you you know it because now I'm like, well, that kid is a liar. Yes. And I'm like, oh, I'm a liar now. You just like these things that come out of my mouth. Because then my daughter's passing it on to the three younger ones. And I'm like, lies, it's a lie. Exactly. And one day they're going to be like, mommy. Exactly. <laughs> and then I don't know if you were prepped for this, but we ask all of our guests for their favorite thing. And so especially with your wisdom as a doctor in today's climate, would love to know what your one favorite thing is right now. Oh, my favorite thing right now is hugs from my children because I can't get them from anyone else. 
So I will take those. I mean, I love them anyways. And that's and that's available right now on Amazon. Swipe up for them. <laughs> you can buy hugs for my it's children. It's the one thing that won't be delayed, so you guys don't have to order it. Kara, <laughs> thank you so much. There is so much information in this in this episode. People are going to be listening to it over and over again. Thank you for being so generous with us, and thank you for all that you do. It's I feel like we need to do this episode once every six months because it's just the boys are constantly evolving in our lives. All right. Well, thank you thank so you. much. Stay Thanks, well. Guys, thank stay you so safe. much. Mom play. Yay! All right, guys, that was Kara. Um, I learned a lot. I'm still kind of nervous. And I feel like I'm going to have more questions, but I, I love this idea of starting the conversations early, not too early because you want them to be developmentally ready for it. Right. Ask them why they want oh, to know something so good. that was so good. You know, being like, like that, that stealth mommy of like a- asking them for examples of bullying, like all of that stuff. I, it helped. I think helps you frame the conversation because the conversation has to be had. But I really valued what Cara said. Like, you you can't just expect boys to su- suddenly figure out how to put emotions into language or how to have the communication skills to address their needs without us ever having taught them how to do that. And I totally hear what you're saying. I think a lot of parents feel like, well, this is something I feel so comfortable talking to my girls about. I no problem. Like, the, of course, they get it and they understand and it makes sense. Um, and maybe it does take a little bit more effort, or maybe you have to have a different kind of conversation to achieve the same result with your son, but they still need to be shown how to have those communication skills, or they'll never be able to represent for themselves. Or worse of all, worst, worse even than that would be just to squash those emotions and pretend they don't have them, which is when you really give yourselves ulcers from the inside out. Um, <clears throat> something else you brought up that I thought was so powerful, and I think this is they're, they're linked because it's the same conversation you're going to need to have uh, is letting your kids fill in the blank. So if you're nervous about having those emotional conversations with your kids and you're trying, you're like, you know, trying, groping in the dark, trying to find, you know, how to have those conversations or what to talk about, let your kids fill in the blanks. I thought that was so cool. Like as parents, sometimes we jump in and want to like, give them the answers or fill in what we suspect they're dealing with. When in reality, if you kind of leave it open-ended, even the provocative questions they ask you, sometimes they don't really know what they're asking or what they're talking Mm -hmm. about. And if you kind of let them fill in. So dig into their question. That's what you're saying. Dig into their question. And, and if you say like, you know, what, what, if you want to talk about, we talked a little bit about bullying or you want to talk about something that scares them or something like even right now with Corona, it's the way that I've chosen to, a, my son had a girl in his class who came came in and well before any of us were talking to this was when they when they were still in school well before anyone at home was talking to my kids about coronavirus one of the kids in his class started talking about it and i could see that um the fact that he didn't know anything about it was probably scarier to him even than like the random little tidbits that she was sharing and being able to have him fill in the blanks of what he knew and fill in the blanks of what he was, what he thought about it helped me try it like very delicately and very minimally. Cause my kids are really little and I don't want them. I don't feel they need to know more than they need to know at this point. So I'm sure you guys will want to listen to this episode a few times. There's so much to digest in it. And now it's time for our favorite things. 
time for our favorite thing. Yes! So my favorite thing this week, I'm just pulling it up right now. My sister Zoe introduced us to these crackers and I'm obsessed with them. They're from a company called Simple Mills and they do, they're, they're grain-free crackers. It's like a grain-free company, I gather. And they do this, these Simple Mills farmhouse cheddar almond flour crackers. Uh, and they come in like individual little snack bag size items. Um, so my son, I, I never understood hangry until I met a four-year-old boy. He's <laughs> so hungry all the time, constantly needs, in his word, a quote, salty, crunchy snack. He's like, oh my, no, no. You know what? Also, that's your child, Daphne. <laughs> Only your child would be like, specifically, because Daphne's so specific <laughs> about her food. Your, your son is mini you. He's mini me and he needs a salty, crunchy snack. That's so funny. Anyway, all this to say, you know, he, he loves pretzels, loves crackers, loves all these kinds of things. And I just don't, I try not to let them have too much white flour all the time. So we play around with the cauliflower versions and, and I try to keep as many healthier snacks around as I can, that they can go into the pantry and grab for themselves. And I love these individual snack pack size, um, that he can go in and help himself to with the volume of snacking that he needs. And because it's made from cassava flour and almond flour and a special like nut and seed blend, obviously not great if you're, if you have um, nut allergies, but a really nice option just to balance out the other salty, crunchy snacks that so many of us do keep on hand. Ah, and you can still get it on Amazon. So I just ordered it last night. So I know it's, it's been, it's, it's still there for now. Um, my favorite thing today is a yoga video. That's awesome. Um, that is on YouTube and was actually given to us or was I given recommended and was given and was recommended to us by um, my three-year-old's class, although my four-year-old likes it as well. And I posted on my stories yesterday a, a, a video of Rafa and Leo getting along, doing the video on their own while I am focusing <laughs> on Carmen and making them lunch. And they rewound this six minute video over and over and over again. I think they did it five times and it was hilarious. So it's in Spanish, that. but like Woo! there's a lot of, you know, I mean, even if your kids don't speak Spanish, I think that it would be a good experience for them. Um, and also they're going to understand because there's so much like movements and stuff like that to it. So I'm, we're going to link this to it. Um, I'm not going to, name you know give you the very 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 long name in spanish um for this this video but we'll link we'll link the youtube um video to it and it's just so much fun and i kid you not my boys were getting along and on their own repeating it over and over and over again and then i'll get them to move you know you see think six minutes times five times i mean that was like that was a half hour yoga class 30 minutes of activity (laughs) exactly it's a half hour yoga class see how bad my math is after even doing first grade math for a long time my god thank god my daughter's naturally good at math all right guys thanks so much for listening um we hope that you're staying safe uh we're thinking about all of you and um email us you know if you're if you're lonely you want to chat about something email us mombraidpod@gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram, follow us um, on YouTube and Facebook. And until next time. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.